I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falking Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good Wednesday afternoon. A little bit strange time for us this week, but uh, schedules, you know, they, they, they change. Things happen. So here we are. A lot going on in the world of sports, as always, in the NFL season. We're going to certainly recap week three, maybe take a peek ahead to week four. Baseball winding down. Certainly want to hit on the American League wild card race, which is really getting interesting. Going to talk a little college football as well. Ryder Cup, recap that, and a few other things going on in the world of sports. But as per usual, we're going to start with the Buffalo Bills. Last Sunday at the Ralph, a big victory for the Bills. They end up beating the Washington football team by 22 points, a 43-21 win. And, you know, it's one of those days that, to me, we've had a lot of these coming out of COVID, felt normal days, if you will. This game, to me, felt normal for the Buffalo Bills. The offense was really good. The defense made some big plays, gave up some big plays. This, to me, looked more like what I expected the Bills to look like than the first two weeks of the season. And and then the main part of that probably is just Josh Allen played what we expected Josh Allen to play like, and maybe even above that. Whatever your expectations for Josh Allen were coming into the year, I'm fairly certain that weeks one and two, he performed below expectations, and I'm equally certain that week three, he performed above because he was the AFC player of the week. 358 yards, four touchdown passes, another touchdown rushing on the day. A real good outing for Josh Allen, and it kind of settled some nerves, if you will. Anyone who was a little worried about Josh through games one and two, and frankly going back to the playoff games that he hadn't played all that well in, you were starting to see a little bit of a streak of the not good Josh. And Sunday you saw the very good Josh. And, you know, to that point, Allen's numbers on Sunday were so good that now you start to look at his season numbers, 62% completion, seven touchdowns, the one pick, quarterback rating up to 95.5. So, it's like an early season baseball player who has a couple offers early on and then has a four for four game. The batting average can jump up in a hurry. And for Josh Allen, that certainly did. The Bills now at two and one. And I think they're there at, at the record that many people, me anyway, thought they would be after the first three games of the year. I remember I've been saying all along, I expected the Bills to start the season. Three and three in their first six games. The Texans come to town this Sunday. The Bills are a tidy 17 point favorite against the Texans. Of course, the last time the Bills played the Texans was in the playoffs a couple of years back. One of those that we'll always look back on is a, a win that got away. There were a lot of reasons for that. Josh didn't play particularly well, especially in the second half of that game. I thought Sean McDermott coached a very poor game in that time, in that game. And frankly, Deshaun Watson had a great second half. There are a couple other things too. The, Blindside block, penalty on Cody Ford, the potential potential touchdown recovery to start the second half on the kickoff. There were a lot of things that went on that day. And I'm sure this week, even though the Bills 
seem to be ascending, and most power rankings have them in the top five. And the Texans very much in limbo with their situation, especially when you look at what's going on with Deshaun Watson and the fact that Watson still won't play, even though Tyrod Taylor is not going to be there. So the Bills have this this game this week, which should be a win, move them to 3-1. and one. But the next two games, extremely tough before the bye. At Kansas City and at Tennessee, both difficult places to play, both places the Bills have not had a lot of success recently. Those will be great tests. And if the Bills can win one of those two games, I think they'll be in very good shape because I'm coming out of the bye, the next four games, Miami at home, then they travel to Jacksonville, then they have the Jets and Indy at home. That's a 3-1 and one stretch, in my opinion, over the next four. So if the Bills can get to 4-2, and two, as opposed to the three and three that I'm projecting them to get to. And then you go three and one the next week. At worst, they would be seven and three and, and in really good shape, especially considering the rest of the AFC East. And of course, step one, win the East, secure some home playoff positioning, and then worry about other things. On Sunday, the Bills, they ran it okay. You're starting to see the combination of, of, of Devin Singletary and Zach Moss being used more. And what I liked, the distribution of carries. Singletary had 11 carries, 26 yards. Did not have a very good day. Moss, 13 carries for 60 yards, and he caught a touchdown pass. So it was very evenly split. And I think what you're starting to see is early games, you're going with Singletary, and then Moss, the more physical runner, Later in the games, and I really like the strategy because as games go along, guys get a little bit more tired. This is a, is a situation that I think will work itself out nicely. So a real interesting day there. You know, I want to go back to the start of the game Sunday against Washington. You know, you go into this game and the Bills – Having come off the shutout of Miami the week before, stadium's electric, beautiful sunny day, very windy. So a lot of things going into it. Washington with the great defensive line that just hasn't played up to its level yet. And and so there's all that. Bills come out and they run the ball initially to Singletary. Minimal gain on first down. Second down, they do a swing pass to Singletary. It's incomplete. Third down, Emmanuel Sanders forgets a snap count and takes off early from his wide receiver position. So now you got like third and 14 on the opening set. So all the emotion, all the things that got this team to this point and this day could have gone right out the window right there. You go three and out on your first series, you lose all the momentum you started that game with. And the play was a 23-yard pass to Gabriel Davis. Josh threw it. Absolute seed in there. It was a great throw, great play. The Bills get the first down and end up going down and getting a touchdown. It was Gabriel Davis' only target of the day. But I think you can argue it was one of the most important plays of the afternoon because after that, The Bills really settled in, and offensively, they clicked big time. So it's it's funny how 
you look at Gabriel Davis, if you're a box score person and you're just looking at one catch, only targeted one time, man, that was a huge, huge play. And I thought overcame some adversity and got all the momentum right back on the Bills' side, and they just took it and ran with it from there. Cole Beasley had a day. Targeted 13 times, came down with 11 catches, 98 yards. Diggs had six catches. He had 10 targets. But Emmanuel Sanders had his coming out party for the Bills. The two touchdowns, 94 yards receiving. So very, very good stuff there. Dawson Knox somebody I want to give a little credit to as well because I've been critical of him because he has a lot of drops that he should not have. But the touchdown catch on Sunday, and he didn't have a drop on Sunday, Four catches, 49 yards, and and an excellent, excellent catch by Dawson Knox. So really important stuff there. You you look at the defense on this day, and they they played well. They they didn't get a whole lot of pressure on Taylor Heineke. Heineke's a quarterback who I kind of like. The more I watch this kid play, I think there's something there. Terry McLaurin, the Washington football team wide receiver, is among the best in the league. He is so very good and had a good day Sunday as well. But the Bills' defense, I thought, did what they had to do. They managed the lead. They did give up the 73-yard touchdown pass to Antonio Gibson, one of those that just simply can't happen if you're a good defense. But beyond that, they played smartly. They hit. They were aggressive. I would have liked to see a little bit more from the offensive line, but this was a strange day because the team that won big basically got beat up front on both sides of the ball. The offensive line of the Bills didn't really have a whole lot of of problems with as far as giving up a sack, but at the same time, Josh Allen's elusiveness probably saved four or five sacks. So, it's one of those things you look at and you think, oh, they didn't give up sack. The line must have played well. I don't think that's the case. Conversely, on the defensive side of the ball, I thought the Washington offensive line won the battle against the Bills' defensive line. Very quiet day for A.J. Appenenza and Greg Rousseau and, and Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison. You didn't hear those names a whole lot. Taron Johnson is somebody I'd like to single out because that dude, I think, so far for the first three games of the year, if I was to pick a defensive MVP, to me, it's Taron Johnson. The second person I would pick is Matt Milano. He's been playing fantastic football. And and Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde have been great as well. You look at the secondary of the Bills, Levi Wallace is certainly going to get tested because nobody wants to test Tredavious White. So you look at those two guys, you throw Taron Johnson in the mix with Poyer and Hyde, that is as strong of a unit that the Bills have on their football team. I think that is the strength of this team. Better even than the wide receiver core, which I think is fantastic. So really, really good game Sunday for the Bills. They set the tone. And again, going into going into a game this week against the Texans where they're heavily favored. And this is a new experience. And I'll be intrigued to see how they come out. Because as the season goes on, there's always going to be those letdown games. 
if there's ever a letdown game where the Bills come off a tough win against Washington, they then next week travel to Kansas City, rematch of the AFC Championship game. This is a donut game. And the fact that the Bills are 17-point underdogs, I'm sorry, 17-point favorites, is just an amazing thing. So really, really important game. We'll see how it turns out. So I'm sure a lot of people who are in last man standings around the world, around the country, are going to be hoping that the Bills win big as well. Around the league last week, the Thursday night game, was Carolina over these Houston Texans. Carolina improving to 3-0. And Sam Darnold looks really like a different quarterback in Carolina. Of course, he's got a much better team around him. He's got a coaching staff that actually knows what they're doing. But with Christian McCaffrey hurt now, no word on how long he'll be out, whether or not he'll be ready for Dallas this week. But McCaffrey is certainly the heart and soul of that Panther offense It's just unfortunate he can't seem to stay on the field. Sunday afternoon, the Browns quietly establishing themselves as one of the best teams in the NFL. They rolled over the Bears. The Bears are just a dumpster fire. Justin Fields got the start. He was sacked nine times, hurt his hand. This week, Matt Nagy said all three quarterbacks, Dalton, uh, Fields, and the legendary Nick Foles are considerations for starting this week. So I I think the Bears, they just don't have a clue as to what's going on. The Bengals whooped up on the Steelers 24 to 10. Joe, sorry about your Steelers, but something not good is going on there. Jamar Chase couldn't catch the ball in the preseason. Well, the lights came on for real. And all of a sudden, that dude had two more TDs on Sunday. Looked really good. And Ben Roethlisberger might be in the best shape of his life. Unfortunately, he looks old, slow, beaten down, and done. I know we're only three games into this season, but without T.J. Watt, that Steeler defense isn't the same defense. And unfortunately, without that defense carrying this football team, I don't think the Steelers are going to win a whole lot of games. This week's game against Green Bay could get ugly with Aaron Rodgers potentially going off there. Titans beat the Colts last week, and Again, similar situation. The Colts, a very good team. Carson Wentz, not a very good quarterback. I I still don't know what happened to Carson Wentz. After a couple years watching him in Philly, I was convinced this kid was going to be a very good player for a very long time. It hasn't transpired, and the change of scenery hasn't helped him yet. And for the Titans, I got to mention it because every year, or every week, I'm expecting Derrick Henry to break down. Well, he hasn't broken down yet. Another 113 yards on Sunday for Henry. One of the worst games to watch, and thank you to all our local TV stations who didn't put the Giants-Falcons game game on. My God, what a bore fest that was. Falcons end up getting a win with the last-second field goal. The Giants, they're a mess. They're 0-3 now. They don't have a whole lot going for them. And the one player that I was most interested to see how he would come back. I always feel, especially for running backs, that ACLs are a two-year injury. Well, Saquon Barkley is back, but he is not the same guy. He had 51 yards on Sunday, and now through the first three games of the season, 134 yards on 39 carries is only one touchdown. That comes out to a 3.4 yards per carry average. 
frankly, the 39 carries isn't enough, and the 3.4 average is not even close to enough. The Saints whooped up on the Patriots. Mac Jones is looking like what he is, a rookie quarterback. Remember when the preseason was going along and the Patriots were going to run the football, throw to their tight ends, and play real good defense? Mac Jones threw the ball 51 times on Sunday against the Saints. Three interceptions. Look, I know Belichick's the greatest coach in the history of the game. I also know that since Brady left, Josh McDaniel has looked like anything but a head coach in waiting. I I never have been a McDaniels fan, and I think he is a guy who didn't get opportunities or did get opportunities in part because of the success of the Patriots. Now he won't get opportunities because it's shown that Brady was the success reasoning for the Patriots, not the offensive scheme. Real good game from the AFC West on Sunday. Chargers beat the Chiefs 30-24. to Chiefs losing two games in September is not something I had planned. The fact that the AFC West is kind of upside down is a little strange, but I got to say this about the AFC West. If you look at the AFC West and you look at what has gone on, Justin Herbert is just a really, really good young quarterback. Four touchdowns on Sunday. If the Chargers can protect him, and I think that's a huge if because that offensive line's a little dinged up. But if they can keep that young man upright, I think this Charger team with Derwin James back playing healthy at the back end of that defense, Bosa, of course, always going to be a problem. I think they have a chance. As a wild card, I still think the Chiefs are the team to beat out West. But as a wild card, I think they could sneak in and give somebody a whole lot of problems because Herbert is just that good. Arizona beat Jacksonville, and you would expect that. Arizona's a better team. They're now 3-0. and I'm not sure I'm ready to believe they're a 3-0 and team, but they are. you are what your record is. As Parcell used to say, this team's undefeated. They've got a big game coming up this week. We'll see how that goes for them. But the real story here, and I think it's going to be all year long, is the development of Trevor Lawrence for the Jags. And another tough day on Sunday. Gives up a pick six, one of two interceptions. Completed 22 of 34, 219 yards. Did have a touchdown. The Ravens. Get by the Lions. And this is one of those games that shouldn't have been. Justin Tucker had a 66-yard field goal that hit the crossbar, goes over for the game-winning field goal. It's an NFL record, record-length record field goal. Previous record was 64. Turner's was 66. Sets a record, wins the game. But the play before the field goal attempt, Lamar Jackson didn't get the snap off on time, and it wasn't even close. If you see the video, play clock is at zero. Solid second, second and a half go off. They snap it, no flag, and therefore Justin Turner's allowed to get an attempt from 66 yards, which wouldn't have been good from 66 and a half, but it was just good enough from 66, so really crazy ending there. Raiders are undefeated. They're 3-0. They beat the Dolphins in OT. 
Dolphins did a good job coming back on them. Jacoby Brissett played pretty solid in the second half. But Derek Carr is playing great football this year. He is really, really doing some good things. 386 yards passing for Derek Carr playing the best football of his career. Not sure if this is sustainable for the Raiders. They've had a couple overtime wins, but man, they are playing really, really well early on. Denver's undefeated, but I'll explain that in a second. They beat the Jets, shut them out. Zach Wilson's been atrocious. It's not all his fault, but I think at some point he needs to show some development so far, completing 55% of his passes, only 628 yards in the first three games. That's only an average of about 209 yards passing per game. They're very, very low. Again, the Jets don't have much talent, but it's two touchdowns, seven interceptions for Zach Wilson. Denver playing really good defense, and they always will. They had a good offensive line. Melvin Gordon is running hard. But so far, they beat the Giants, the Jets, and the Jags. Their combined record's 0-9. So, 3-0 and looks great, and it is what it is, but I'm not sure it's going to be a, a playoff season for the Broncos playing in that tough division. Great game out in L.A. with the Bucks and the Rams playing the Rams defense. Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey are two of the five best defensive players in the league. They are studs. They're all over the field. Brady, though, Carved him up for 432 yards and a touchdown. But the Rams improved to 3-0 and largely because Matthew Stafford was the best quarterback on the field that day. Stafford, 343 yards and four touchdowns. Really, really well done by Matthew Stafford. The Vikings got a win that they needed. They were without Dalvin Cook, so they put it into the hands of Kirk Cousins. He was up to the task. He had 323 yards, three touchdowns. Cousins is a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback, and a lot of people freaked out over the money that he got. But he he is a good quarterback, a quarterback you can win with, not maybe because of. But on Sunday, he was the best quarterback on the field. When Russell Wilson's the guy on the other side of the field, that's a statement. And the fact that Seattle now won and two, just something doesn't seem right there. Just doesn't seem right. Tyler Lockett, who had two really good games the first two weeks of the season, was largely held in check on Sunday. So, interesting there. Aaron Rodgers takes a lot of grief from certain members of the media, Colin Coward. And people like to talk about his attitude and how he's not somebody who cares about football, doesn't love football. I don't know if dude loves football. I don't know what his attitude or what kind of guy he is, but I know this. He's the best quarterback in the league right now. And I I don't have a problem saying there are some great quarterbacks. Pat Mahomes being the second best. But if I got one game to win, Aaron Rodgers is my quarterback. They left 37 seconds left, they being the San Francisco 49ers. 37 seconds. Too much time. 50-yard field goal later, they end up getting the win. The Packers do improve to 2-1, to and one, and the Aaron Rodgers is a cancer, and it's going to be a bad season. All that talk has gone away. Monday Night Football, Cowboys get a big win over the Eagles, and Dak Prescott 
is playing some fantastic football. Another game where he completes over 80% of his passes. The Cowboys were able to run the ball very well. Ezekiel Elliott ran hard early, 95 yards for him. Tony Pollard had 60 yards. The offensive line has two very weak links, but at the same time, it's physical enough to get some push against a very good Philly defensive line. I thought this was a really good game for the Cowboys. Mike McCarthy is a terrible game clock manager. I don't know if he's a good head coach or not. We'll we'll see how this season plays out. But, man, this guy just doesn't care about clock management. And, and for him to have an offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, who calls all the plays, a defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn, who calls all the plays. So his job is to manage the game. And he's not doing very well at that. I, I got to wonder if he's – the right guy for the job because I think in a weak division, this Cowboy team is playing much better defense this year. Let's see how it plays out. But, man, it, it's it's not looking good for Mike McCarthy. This week, of course, coming up, the big game that everyone's going to be looking at, the promo started last Sunday, Brady going back to New England. And, you know, you look at Tampa, they're the defending Super Bowl champion, they seem to be a playoff team again this year, playing very good football, beaten only by the Rams in L.A. So this is going to be a, a bit of a test for the Patriots. Patriots are a team that a lot of people had expectations for. I'm not sure those expectations were warranted, but I do know this. Tom Brady going back to New England, there's a lot to look at here. I expect that the Buccaneers come out of there with an easy win, and I expect Brady to play very well in this game. And, oh, yeah, don't be surprised. Early on, Bucks get into the red zone. You better put three guys on Gronk because there's not a doubt in my mind that Tom Brady is going to look to go to Gronk. And I want to throw one more thing out about, about Tampa before I move on from this game. A new addition to their team is Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman, who was a great cornerback early in his career, out of football, in large part because of a domestic violence arrest early on in the summer this year, caught on video, ugly. Bucks don't care, man. They You can play, they'll bring you in. Antonio Brown last year saw the video of him in front of his house. They didn't care. They brought him in. Richard Sherman, ugly video. They don't care. They bring him in. The question I have for the league is this. Where are the suspensions for Richard Sherman? Where are the suspensions when it comes to things like this to Sean Watson that Ezekiel Elliott had, Ben Roethlisberger had? No charges filed in either of those two cases, yet they both got six games. Where is the consistency from the NFL League office right now? Cleveland and the Vikings, a good, sneaky good game this weekend. Miles Garrett coming off a four-and-a-half sack performance against the Bears. Going to be a really good, good game. If Dalvin Cook's back, I think the Vikings can run it. If not, they might struggle, and it might be another big day for that Cleveland defense. Cleveland's quietly, it's amazing when you consider how long they haven't been good, quietly one of the best teams in the league. Arizona and the Rams, going to be a really fun game. Let's see if Arizona's for real. 
This is as good a test as they'll see all year. This is going to be a fun game to watch. Seattle and San Francisco, likewise, Seahawks really need to get things going. Jimmy Garoppolo was really good down the stretch the other day. Didn't get the win. 49ers need to come back strong and make sure they get a win here. Two teams that are going in opposite directions, sort of, is the Ravens and the Broncos. Broncos, I mentioned, 3-0. and Ravens, they struggled to beat Detroit. And, you know, a miraculous kick by Justin Turner got, allowed them to, to get that done. And if you look at the the Baltimore Ravens, they need to play better football. Lamar's playing great. Their defense needs to step it up. And then the last game I wanted to highlight this year or this week is the Raiders and Chargers. And that's one of those games that as you look at it, Chargers with Herbert playing great, Derek Carr playing great. It's got shootout written all over it. Should be a 38-35 game. I bet you the game's an under game, 20 to 17. Should be fun to watch, though. Really good, good games coming up in week four. Speaking of good games coming up, college football. We're now beyond the, um, can we call it the Akron and Tulsa portion of the schedules? College football, you're starting to see the cream rise to the top. And the cream certainly this year, two teams to me right now. Alabama and Georgia are the best two teams in football, and both have good tests on Saturday. Bama against Mississippi should be a good one, and then Georgia taking on number 8, Arkansas. So really good games there in the SEC. But you start to look further down, the usual suspects, if you will, and the other usual suspect is Ohio State. And I mentioned Tulsa and Akron because that's Ohio State's last two games. Have they righted the ship since that Oregon loss? I'm not sure they have. I'm not sure this Ohio State team is ready to go and become that big-time team. They play Rutgers this week in the start of the Big Ten schedule. Let's see how they do against another Big Ten team. If I expect Ohio State big. If not, this might not be a similar type year. Clemson shouldn't be ranked. They are. It doesn't matter the rankings at this point because it's so early in the year, but it's reputation. They're 2-2. Two and two. They play Boston College this week. That's a team that doesn't look like a Final Four football team, or even if they had extended it to 8 or 16. I wouldn't put Clemson in there right now. Three traditional powers, though, that I want to mention could very well round out the Final Four this year. First team I wanted to talk about is Michigan. They're only ranked 14th. But they seem to have maybe done something they hadn't done the last couple of years. Win games are supposed to. Win games are supposed to by a fairly decent margin. Harbaugh struggled against teams he's supposed to beat over the last couple of years. Still have a tough schedule. Still got to beat Ohio State. But Michigan looks a little different to me this year. Number nine, Notre Dame has a big, big test this week. They play against Cincinnati. Cincinnati's ranked 7th. Of course, Cincinnati also happens to be the school that Brian Kelly came to Notre Dame from. (coughs) Excuse me. Brian Kelly last week became the all-time leading winning, all-time winningest coach in Notre Dame history. Now, that may not seem like as big a deal because He's only got 107 wins. But you look at the names of the coaches he's ahead of now. 
namely Era Parsegian, which if you're a Notre Dame fan, that is royalty. And, oh, yeah, some guy, Newt Rockney. I mean, when you're passing certain names, like in baseball, if Babe Ruth's on the list of the, uh, of the people you're passing, you've done something special. When you pass Newt Rockney, you've done something special. Brian Kelly has a very good football team this year, and this could be another playoff year. Big game on Saturday, and we'll see how that turns out. And the other team, the last team I wanted to highlight, they're ranked number four, so they're not sneaking up on anybody. But Penn State looks different this year to me. They look like a team that could beat anybody in the country. And they are a tough, tough team. But they have Indiana this week, and they've had problems with Indiana in the past. They've won games against them, but it's never been easy. I expect this one to be easy. If this Penn State team's different, like I said, then I expect this one to be a little bit different. Major League Baseball last week of the season, one quick good thing I wanted to say I saw last night, Noah Syndergaard got the start for the Mets. He was an opener. I don't want to say he got the start. He was an opener, pitched one inning. Syndergaard hadn't been on a Major League mound in two years, had Tommy John surgery uh, in spring training of last year. So hadn't pitched all of 2019, didn't pitch at all this year, had setbacks. Great to see him get back out of the mound. Ten pitches in, in that first inning, two strikeouts and a ground out. I don't know what happens with Syndergaard going forward, but I just like when guys finally get a chance back after a long period away to show what they can do, and he certainly did that, so good for him. Yankees got another win last night, and Giancarlo Stanton is just on fire. The Yankees go up to Boston and sweep the Red Sox. Now they're in Toronto. They win game one of this series. Stanton, in the Boston series and last night, combined 9 for 17, hit a home run in each game, and 13 RBIs. I want to rewind to an incident I talked a lot about on this podcast was when Stanton and Francisco Lindor of the Mets had words in that Sunday night game. Stanton responded to Lindor, hit a monster home run, talked to Lindor as he was rounding the bases and benches emptied. You'll remember the situation. Since that situation... That happened in September. He's hit eight home runs since that situation. He's raised his OPS 34 points. It's now up to 886. And he's also raised his slugging percentage 34 points. Now up to 527. To raise your slugging percentage in OPS at this late point of the season is not easy to do. Stanton is carrying the Yankees into the playoffs. This is a guy, Yankee fans, they may not still like him, but I'll tell you what, he is their best hitter right now. Judge has been good, but Stanton is the Yankees' best hitter, and he is hitting absolute seeds night after night. Really fun to watch. And talk about changing the narrative. That night in Queens changed the narrative on Giancarlo Stanton, in my opinion, for the Yankees, at least for this season. We'll see how it goes going forward. 
the Yankees are in very good shape for the wild card with five games to play. They're now two games up over the Red Sox. So they're very close to being a wild card team. The next question for the Yanks is in that wild card game, do you, would you rather have Jordan Montgomery or Garrett Cole? Now look, the easy answer is Garrett Cole. He's the guy you paid $300 million to sign. But Jordan Montgomery's been better lately. And it wouldn't be the worst thing to go with Montgomery, depending on the matchup, and having Cole be eligible to go or available to go twice in the first round of the playoffs. So uh, it would take a lot of balls for Aaron Boone to make that decision. But it's a decision, I think, that should be given some thought. So we'll see where it goes from there. I mentioned the Yanks are two games up over the Red Sox. Red Sox spinning their wheels, swept by the Yankees, lose to the O's last night. And they have two more with the O's, and then they finish out the season. But here's the thing. The Red Sox are only a half game up on Seattle. Seattle's been playing great baseball. And the Sox are only a half game up. The Jays are a game behind the Red Sox. So we'll see what happens going forward. But this could go down to Sunday, and there is – a very, very good chance that this ends up in a one-game Monday playoff to get into the wild card, which would be a Tuesday game. So really, really going to be a fun final week of the season in Major League Baseball. The Ryder Cup happened last week. And, you know, very often in sports, you have games that don't live up to their billing. You have things that don't live up to their billing. In a way, the Ryder Cup didn't live up to its billing because it wasn't nearly as close as anyone thought. The U.S. won 17 matches to nine matches, or got 17 points, I should say, to nine points for the European team. But it is a phenomenal event. And the fact that it was at Whistling Straits in Wisconsin, the backdrop being Lake Michigan and the dunes that of that golf course, it was fantastic. And I thought two players really, really came out of there with a a little bit of a different look at them. Dustin Johnson's been one of the best, if not the best player in golf over the last three or four years. When he's playing well, nobody's better than DJ. Although I think sometimes he'd rather hang out with Pauline on a boat with a bunch of drinks and who knows what else. Can't blame the dude. You know, he's a young man. Have fun. When he's focused, though, like he was this week, he won all five matches that he was entered into. 5-0 and on the weekend for DJ. That's phenomenal. That just doesn't happen very often in Ryder Cups. So DJ cementing his status, at least in my opinion, as the best player in the world. By the way, John Rahm of the Europeans is the only guy, I think you argue that, that when they both have their best game, that weekend, John Rahm and Dustin Johnson, I still think DJ wins, but John Rahm can give him all he can handle. So really good stuff for DJ that weekend. And a guy I don't like, I thought changed the narrative, Bryson DeChambeau. Bryson's a dick. He just can't get out of his own way. But this weekend, at Whistling Straits, handled his business, came across as likable, and in the post-game Post match presser 
urged on by Justin Thomas, Bryson and Brooks Kepka actually hugged. And it was a pretty funny moment there because we all know about the Brooksy Bryson rivalry. Some real good stuff there. The NBA media days have gone on when training camps are getting open. Seen a lot of COVID discussions. Kyrie Irving is talking uh, about not playing games in Brooklyn because he's not vaccinated and state law demands that if he's to play, he's got to be vaccinated. And he he spoke, and again, it, it didn't come across very well because he's Kyrie. But yesterday, video surfaced of a young man for the Orlando Magic, real good player of uh, Isaac Hayes, Jonathan Isaac, not Isaac Hayes, Jonathan Isaac, real good young player. This young man handled the podium and his stance about vaccines about as well as anybody I've ever heard. He was fantastic. I personally didn't agree with what he said, but he was so good with how he said it that I have the utmost respect for this young man. More of Jonathan Isaac, please. No matter what he's talking about, I will listen because this kid really seems to get it and it's again i didn't even agree with what he said but i loved how he said it it was that good last night was the first night of um preseason hockey for the sabers that's right sabers are back playing you know what the big news out of saber camp was last week that jack eichel was stripped of his captaincy You know what should be about as equal of breaking news of Jack Eichel not being a captain of the Sabres this year? That I'm not going to be on the Sabres' first line, second line, third line, play defense, goalie, none of it. I'm not going to be a Sabre this year. They both have about the same shock value. I couldn't believe that the Sabres had a presser to announce that. What are you doing with Jack Eichel? What is going on there? He's your best player, and yet he's Deshaun Watson limbo for a different reason. Unbelievable how poorly the Sabres continue to handle this situation. Now, I don't know if Eichel's healthy enough to play, if the surgery will take him out for the— I don't know what—I'm not a doctor. Breaking news, another shocking thing. But what's going on with this guy? Are you just going to let him sit there? continue to get paid or have your insurance pay him because he's physically unable to perform and just pretend he's not there? If he can't help your team by playing, let him help your team by being a trade ship. Move on from the guy. It's truly shocking how bad, well, no, it isn't shocking how badly the Sabres have handled this situation because what would be shocking is the Sabres handling any situation well. Congratulations, Pagulas. You've done it again. Just when I thought you couldn't handle a PR situation any worse, you did. Fantastic. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. We'll talk next week. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast.